What an hour that was with Mike Jolly, a high school teacher at Archbishop Jordan out in Sherwood Park on the text line to 630-630. Brad says, what a great guest. Enjoy the concept of holding kids accountable. He says we need more teachers like Mike to get rid of this mentality, this sense of entitlement. Keep up the great work. Uh, Michaela texting in this morning says, I had Mr. Jolly last semester. Uh, She says, although he may think he's rough around the edges, he's by far the best teacher I ever had. He creates the students with the best success because he continuously pushes us to be the best we can be, as well as to accept limitations. He made me feel ready to take the next step in four months and enter the real world. Michaela, thanks for listening. Claire says, I teach and I coach adults in business as well. I find that personal accountability is one of the most important attributes for a successful business person. Also one of the least developed skills with most young people. Claire signs off by saying, make it a perfect day. Listener here says, uh, this is Warren. I have two university boys. Neither of them know which direction to turn a nut into a bolt in order to tighten it. Yes, I think we should be teaching kids life skills, but also some pretty basic mechanical skills. It just seems to me that these kids are being taught some real basics in school. Trevor says, your guest there in the first hour kind of reminded me of my English teacher, who I greatly admired. He influenced my life, also introduced me to the wonderful world of Monty Python. Ooh, there you have it. We'll get to more of your takes on this because, as mentioned, there are literally hundreds of them. We've received some emails as well. And so we'll return to the concept of accountability and education prompted by Mike Jolly. But it's my pleasure right now to welcome back to the program Dr. Louis Qantas. Doctor, good to see you. Thank you. Nice to be back. I suppose as of three days ago, uh, I must now refer to you as past president of the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association. Thank you. That's much kinder than has been. Has been. Congratulations on the culmination of your term. Um, You've been practicing veterinary medicine in Sherwood Park, I know, for quite some time. How did your experience as president of the AVMA change your perspective on, on the veterinary industry, if at all? Yeah, it's been a fantastic experience to be able to represent the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association, and it's really an eye-opener for me to be able to approach and see things from the regulatory aspect. You know, veterinarians love animals, want to do the best we can for animals, but the position of the, or the reason why the ABVMA is in existence is to protect the public, and that is, uh, that's what we do, and fortunately we're able to do that by helping to ensure that the veterinary medicine practiced in this province is of the highest quality, and uh, the communication is the best possible, and uh, protect both the public and the animals at the same time, which is really what we want. How, how has the the uh, continuation of these focuses been? Did you step in uh, in a situation where you were comfortable with the state of veterinary medicine in, in the province, or was there some cleanup that needed to be done? No, I was. we were very fortunate in that uh, things are run very well in the province. Uh, we actually are envied by many areas of the world as far as the level of veterinary medicine which we're able to practice. We also, over the years, of course, um, with the emphasis on the human-animal bond, we've seen uh, pet owners and animal owners that also are coming to expect more and more. And over the years, veterinary medicine has developed quite a lot, both in knowledge and in technique and in technology and in all these ways. And most of the time, that is for the benefit of the pets or the animals and their owners. So, no, actually, we have a real good organization, which I'm very proud of and happy to have been able to represent. 
last time you were here, we were flooded with text messages and phone calls because people want to save 150 bucks. They want to talk to the vet right now. So maybe we'll leave some time for open lines in sure. just a bit, doctor. But but we, we asked you to stay in touch with us after that radio appearance several months ago, to be in touch with us when there was an issue that may surface, something that caught your attention that you thought required maybe a little bit more public awareness. And you made good on our request, reaching out to us just a short time ago to talk about animal rescue. Now, some people will say, okay, here we go. Now he's going to pick his favorite rescue group and he's going to ask us to donate, right? But that's not what you're here to talk about. No, not at all. You know, uh, the idea of rescuing animals in need is one that none of us can disagree with. We love to love to do that. We love to take care of animals. There's animals in distress. We that's even you know against the uh, the law to allow animals to be in distress, and so we we want to do what we can to help. And there are a whole lot of very good-hearted people out there that uh, are interested in and engaged in helping animals. Many of my own clients I talk with, and they're open-hearted, very willing to help, and want to donate too. Well, that's not what I'm here for, because unregulated importation of animals into Canada from other places is something that is a big concern to the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association, not just because of uh, the fact that we have many animals that require a saving already you know, in the province, but um, the regulations for importation of animals, and that let's, well, let's specifically refer to dogs, okay, because agriculture animals are a little bit different kettle of fish, so to speak, um, but importation of dogs into Canada only requires a, a proof of va- rabies vaccination and um, not even a general clean bill of health or treatment against parasites. And there are a number of diseases that can be carried into Canada from animals outside. And uh, this has happened on several occasions. And there have been people, humans in Alberta, that have been affected by that. And so we basically just want to spread the word that whereas we love to support the idea of rescuing animals, helping animals, we need to have a good deal of caution as to where these animals come from, how they've been treated, and what the potential risks are. And by and large, I think that's an unknown to most people. Hmm. Now, uh, it's estimated that there are about 100 dog rescue or animal rescue organizations in the province of Alberta, more than 50 uh, just around Edmonton. So I suppose that this public message could uh, require or even insist on compliance, on trying to establish some sort of common, uh, you know, set of, of you know, a protocol or whatever the case may be. But doesn't this all start with the federal government? Doesn't this all start with Canada Customs? I mean, shouldn't this occur at the airport or even before these animals are put on flights to Canada? Is that where we should start? Yes, uh, I think one of the concerns that we have is uh, that animals can be quite easily taken into Canada from the states, um, but they can be also taken into the states from other countries. And so by not having our own regulations, we're kind of making some assumptions. All right. So we have dogs that are the the Canadian Border Control um, or Patrol is the, the organization that undertakes to fulfill the requirements of the CFIA. And all they have to do to meet those requirements is to show a, a vaccinated uh, certificate from this dog. Now, that dog may come from an area where the, the veterinary medicine is not regulated, as it is here. So who's signing these certificates? How valid is it? There have been cases where animals have come into the States with valid rabies vaccine certificates that have later shown to be false. And that's a pretty scary thing when you talk about rabies. Because, I mean, we're talking, I mean, correct me if I'm missing the point here, but these dogs will be at dog parks. Other people's dogs will be there. 
and pretty soon you've got an issue, and it's not, and, and I don't mean to discount the relationship people have with their dogs. Trust me, I know. People love their dogs. Absolutely. But this can be a problem for humans, too, you were saying. Well, yes. Uh, the, it's an unfortunate situation that also with dog parks, which have their positives, no question about it, there's contact between animals and disease can be spread, but there's also public risk as far as biting and so forth goes, too. And I have heard that... Uh, in certain municipalities, there's concern that a large percentage of the dog bites that are reported are coming from dogs that have been rescued from organizations that may have brought them in from outside the country. And also we're concerned about diseases that can be brought into the country that also can affect people. And uh, again, there have been cases where individuals have been infected by diseases carried by animals that weren't screened for it at the border, as you say. So yes, definitely I think the CFIA, and, and we're lobbying the CFIA to be aware of these and make necessary changes. And there's a lot of other issues too as far as animal welfare issues with rescue groups, some of which do a fantastic job, some of which try and do a fantastic job, but there's a lot of significant constraints. Uh, Dr. Louis Quantis is our guest, uh, past president of the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association. I knew we were going to get a call. <laughs> I just knew it, and we have one. Uh, Rainy Mayer uh, operates the Calican Rescue Group. They bring dogs up from the state of California. We'll get this break out of the way. When we come back, we'll get Rainy on the line as well, figure out how their business model works, how they screen the dogs that they're bringing up, and whether or not it's been difficult to achieve what he would perceive as success. More on this in just a couple of minutes. It's a show, a quarter century in the making. Axel and Slash back together, Guns and Roses reunited in Las Vegas for the very first show in more than 20 years, and you could be there. That's right, one lucky winner and a guest is going to win a trip for two to Las Vegas to see Guns N' Roses perform their very first show back together. If you haven't registered yet for this amazing opportunity, visit 630ched.com right now and then listen daily at 7.20 a.m., 10.20 a.m., and 4.20 p.m. When you hear your name, you have six minutes and 30 seconds to give us a shout at 780-496-0063. That'll qualify you to see the reunion concert of a lifetime. The lucky potential qualifier right now is Lane Caution. Is it Caution? K-O-C-H-A-N. If your name is Lane Caution, you have six minutes and 30 seconds. Well, it's like 6.15 now. I mean, it's already down to almost six minutes, Lane. You better call 780-496-0063. Good luck. The next qualifier at 4.20 p.m. Our guest in studio right now, the past president of the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association, Dr. Louis Quantis. We're talking about animal rescues and some of the concerns that can go along with the process. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program and welcome to the conversation, Rainy Mayer, the founder and the operator of Calican Rescue. Rainy, good morning to you. Hey, good morning. I know you've been uh, listening in. You're on the line now with, with Dr. Qantas. Your, your initial reaction to what you've heard, Rainey, I'd be curious to know how you ensure that you're bringing in healthy dogs from the state of California. How do you do it? I'm uh, happy you guys are talking about this. Um, ever since we started, we've always taken uh, great care to make sure the dogs are healthy and um, kind of socialized because we have a foster home in California that pulls the dogs from the shelters and they're held in foster care for at least a month to make sure any uh, disease is free from the dog. And uh, we give them time for, um, you know, for uh, recovery, for spay, neuter, 
they get heartworm tested and all everything we could really think of before they come to Canada. So, Rainey, when it comes to actual paperwork, though, what what paperwork is made available to you? How much do you know, aside from the observation, the the time that they're, I suppose you could say, sequestered or fostered in California before you bring them up? How are you able to ensure that you know as much as possible about these animals? Well, um, a couple days before the flight, we take them all in to the vet, and they all get a health certificate done, a thorough exam not including blood work that would end up being really expensive but because it is from california and there is concerns we do heartworm tests even though we work with uh, dogs out of central valley and there's extreme drug conditions i've never seen a mosquito down there and um yeah a couple of days before the flight they uh everything's checked and they're good to go Rainy, Dr. Qantas here. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, do you Hi. mind me asking, uh, the source of your dogs, are they from local population around California or imported from overseas? or? Uh, they're from the Fresno area in uh, California, and our volunteer in California works at one of the shelters. All right, and you find quite a ready, um, and the market isn't the right word, but a ready welcoming arms for your dogs that come up into Canada, hey? Oh yeah, um, really quite popular. We only really we only ever bring um, small breed dogs because the problem with big dogs, medium dogs in Canada are enough here, so we don't want to add to the problem. Right, I see. And and do you mind me asking too? Is there you also, I presume, foster dogs out to people in the states as well? Uh, no, we just have uh, one foster home in California. Rainy, don't we, uh, you? If, if I remember your business model correctly, don't you actually charter flights to bring these dogs up? Uh, we tried that a couple times, and the cost was just way too expensive because we had to pay for the fuel. So now we just uh, we work with WestJet, and uh, we every six weeks we bring up seven dogs. That's as much as we can do. So, Henry, this is um, is this a non profit organization or is this a for-profit business or what's the business model it's a non-profit we're a registered uh, charity in canada rainy do you get the sense that uh could there be more regulation in, in this i don't i can't call it an industry i suppose but 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 this genre of service provision if we want to call it that within animal rescue groups i mean people on the text line are some of them are sharing some of them are praising the work you're doing by the way at calican others are saying you know i've seen other rescue groups uh one in stony plain keeps popping up on on the text line here people are saying that conditions are horrific i mean what have you observed from within uh we've seen groups that uh load up dogs in trailers and drive them across the border um We've heard other stories where they're met at the airport and ask um, travelers to pretend it's their dog when they land in Edmonton or Calgary. That way they can get past uh, inspection with border services. Yeah, I'm I'm Uh, We, Pardon me? Go ahead, Rainey. Uh, I really wish the regulations would be stiffer. Um, We've constantly worked with border services to keep up on the rules and... uh, if they make things a lot tougher, we're happy to work alongside with them as long as you know it helps prevent bring bringing diseases into the country. And you got to be responsible, and ethics are involved too. Yeah, Rainey, you're absolutely right, and I'm glad to hear you're concerned about those things because, as you uh, state, some 
some rescues do not appear to be concerned about those things. There, there are, of course, animal welfare issues, there are legal issues, and there are health issues, both for animals and people. I just wanted to, to mention, too, that the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association has produced over the last few years a document called Best Practices for Rescue Groups. And that's something that I encourage any rescue groups to have a look at because even though the intention of many is good, if the resources are limited, we can actually end up doing more harm than good to these animals. I'm glad to hear that you, uh, you know, are really focused on doing a good job with the proper testing and so forth because that's really the minimum that we should do. No, thank you. Hey, Rainey, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to call in. Let me give you a chance to, to plug yourself for a second. What's your web address, or how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about Cali Can Rescue? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah our website address is www.calicanrescue.com. Um, you can email us at uh, info at calicanrescue.com. Um, if you simply search on Google, uh, small dog adoption, we're usually the first uh, result. Too. Hey, that's all you need to say when it comes <laughs> to the success of a business model or an endeavor. Rainy, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. You bet. That's Rainy Mayer from Cali Can Rescue. Well, I, there's a good news story right there, Doc. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And the, the, I'm disappointed to hear what he hears from other people or the things that you've said about poor conditions or whatnot, because obviously the reason why we want to rescue dogs is to improve their life, not to make it more difficult. And I'm concerned also about some rescues that promote themselves as being, um, you know, just out of the goodness of their heart, which actually end up being profit model driven type of businesses, because then a person is concerned about cutting the dollar and usually the animal uh, is the one that suffers. Hmm. Doctor, you mentioned some some online resources that I think would be valuable to people. I mean, some people are chiming in right now just saying, I'm glad you're talking about this. They're not offering an opinion. They're they're just indicating they're glad to be hearing about this. Uh, If you want people to be pointed in a direction where they can get specific information from veterinarians and other experts on trans-border rescues, where should they head online? Excellent website to go to is called animalhealthsource.ca. That's animalhealthsource, all one word, .ca. This is one of the websites that's sponsored by the ABVMA. You'll find a lot of interesting material on there, but there is one um, poster or whatever you click on that's called Transborder Rescue, and that deals gives a lot of good information about this. The, the trouble with Google, of course, is that there's so much out there that's not good information. This is one good website. Another excellent one to look at for general, and we'll probably be talking a little bit about um, tapeworms shortly, but is wormsandgermsblog.com wormsandgermsblog.com Okay, good stuff. Well, we'll uh, fit in a quick pause here, make room for the headlines coming up at the bottom of the hour, and then if it's cool with you, I'd like to talk about tapeworms, and and we heard about heartworms, and maybe some other things that that might be worth getting into, and of course people have submitted some questions for you some consideration. I see one interesting one, an intriguing one about a Doberman pincher. We'll pose that to Dr. Louis Qantas. You can get in line Uh, We'll want to update you right now we've confirmed that we'll talk to the CEO of Northlands, Tim Reed, right around 1045. Of course, they're involved in that bid to keep Canadian Finals Rodeo here in the city of Edmonton. We'll get an update from Tim Reed right around 1045. We'll be right back. On this Thursday morning, Gina, did Lane qualify for the trip to go see GNR in Las Vegas? It took him 20 seconds to call in. Oh, really? I think that's the fastest we've ever had. Atta boy. So Way to go, Lane. Just a quick quick note. Yeah. 3.20 will be the special time to call in today, not 4.20 like normal, just because of the early hockey. That'll be for today and Right, tomorrow. right. Okay, Oilers at Philly tonight. Right, of course. Perfect. So that means so, the City Ford Faceoff show goes 
at 3.30, yeah, so right after the mention, and puck drop at 5. Okay, perfect. Thanks very much, Gina. Dr. Louis Qantas, our guest in studio, past president of the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association. Of course, you've been practicing veterinary medicine in Sherwood for how many years now? Uh, 17 or 18 years. 17, 18 years. Uh, you, you came in here and, and we were talking about animal rescue and a lot of people have been chiming in on that. But there are also, I, I always like to ask guests, you know, are there, are there some other concerns based on your area of expertise you'd like to shine some light on? Where would you like to see more public conversation? And you immediately said tapeworms. Well, that's sort of uh, in line with the topic we're having today, and and it is doesn't sound quite as exciting as Guns and Roses, you know. But, but nonetheless, <laughs> yeah, right. um, what is though, really? Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, actually, it's uh, interesting because there's been um, increase in awareness of a, what I would call an emerging disease in Alberta that has to do with uh, tapeworms that can affect human beings. This again, we think, was originally. Um, brought to this area from a dog that came from Europe because, and again, sorry for the long words, but Echinococcus multiloculares is the specific name of the type of tapeworm. And we've had a, a variety in North America that we think can cause problem and disease but never has, whereas in Europe there have been diseases from this tapeworm in people. Now over the last few years we've been finding that in Alberta as well, and there's been studies to show that many of the coyotes carry that um, tapeworm. We have changed our deworming protocols in our clinic, and we've actually had a positive case in our clinic from a dog. And specifically then, of course, the human population at risk, generally speaking, is the immunocompromised ones. For example, very elderly or very young or people with AIDS or on medication for cancer. And and so these are sort of hidden uh, dangers that we don't want everybody to get all worried about, but it is only appropriate that we're aware of them. And so that's why we need to be aware of what's coming into the country. And um, so people just need to ask their veterinarian about the emerging concern from tapeworm because I think that the protocols that we used to have in Alberta are changing, partly because of the weather change, partly because of new disease. What can people keep an eye on symptoms-wise? What should you be looking for in your dog? Well, I'll tell you, this is actually what makes this a little bit worrisome because um, the dog is considered the the proper, if you will, host for the tapeworm. They'll end up ingesting the eggs. Tapeworms will get in their system, and they won't necessarily become ill at all. They'll end up passing the tapeworm segments or eggs in their st- stool. And the problem is when people get it, that the, that tapeworm then comes into their intestine. This is not a normal host, and so the tapeworm egg basically migrates as a larva stage throughout the body. And a person may only have little things uh, feeling like um, a lethargy or maybe a little bit out of sort. They might think, oh, I have the flu. And the worrisome about this particular condition is that you might not actually show clinical signs to six, seven, eight, nine years later. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Do you see anything in your practice that is a particularly pervasive or common issue? Uh, Most people, I think, pet-wise, go with dogs or cats. Of course, there are those that have birds and snakes and reptiles and and skunks and ferrets, and the list goes on. But is there something that you see time and time again, and you just go, good Lord, when are people going to figure it out? When are people going to get it? Is there something that immediately comes to mind? Well, there's a few things. And first of all, when you mention reptiles and so forth, I want to take the chance to, to mention, too, reptiles as a group. We see a lot of reptiles, but they are an additional hazard as far as carrying organisms that can cause problems with people and so always we need to wash our hands. You know when our animals are part of the family they live with us kind of intimately right and we tend to forget about that but in answer to your question one of the first things that jumps to my mind is people that don't have regular health care for their pets and also are not 
into the vaccination. When we get animals that are sick simply because the animal hasn't been vaccinated, that really tears up my heartstrings. And when we have disease that has been going on and on for months or years in pets simply because the owner hasn't been aware, it's not that they're not concerned, it's just that they haven't come to the vet and have us had a look and point this out. And when they see it, they're often aghast. They say, man, I wish we would have done this a year ago. We say, you know what, bring your pet in every year and it'll help avoid that kind of situation. Do you give the sort of the animal equivalent of annual physicals? Is that a thing? Absolutely. In fact, uh, we emphasize complete physical exams from the tip of the nose to the back of the tail, if the animal has a tail. And um, and we can see an awful lot by looking in the eyes and in the teeth, by palpating little lumps and bumps, by palpating the abdomen. A lot of things that an owner wouldn't necessarily think of. But, you know, we have the otoscopes. We look inside the ears. Just yesterday I had someone come in, and uh, they said they look at the dog's eyes all the time. All I did is shine a light on it, and we saw a blood spot in the eye that could be very significant. Now, if we hadn't looked or if they didn't bring the dog in, we'd never find this. So we're pursuing this and very likely make a big difference both to this animal's health and the owner's health. Wow. Not animal's health, the owner's health, the animal's welfare. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) And that's a good thing to clarify. Uh, Keith chimed in the minute that you sat down in the chair. Keith submitted his question for consideration, so he'll go first. And by the way, I apologize, we'll have to cut you short, but we've got Tim Reed joining us. We're going to talk about Canadian Finals Rodeo, and I'll give you a heads up. I'm going to ask you about rodeo in just a second. Uh, Keith says, I own a male four-year-old Doberman Pinscher. He's not been bred but he's still intact. In other words, he hasn't been fixed, as if I need to tell you that. He says, I plan now to have him fixed and hopefully remove some of his pack aggression. My question is, is it too late to see results in my dog's behavior? And are there other concerns or or are there even myths like the dog will instantly get fat that you could share or dispel for others with a male dog of this age that is not neutered? That from Keith. Right. Well, that's a good question, Keith. And um, I would say this. If your dog is healthy and there's no issues, and oftentimes as part of the way of determining that, we run a little blood sample to make sure his kidney function fine, liver function, and so forth. Then the actual procedure of a neuter should not be a very risky thing. Anytime we use total anesthetic, general anesthetic, there is some risk. But of course, we do this so many, so many times a day, and that's not so risky. Yes, neutering can change an animal's behavior, but there's a genetic component to behavior as well, and so we cannot assume that neutering will automatically achieve the difference in behavior that you might like, and if a dog is neutered because of concern about aggression, there still will be a concern about aggression after the neuter. Okay, so it's not just a quick fix, no pun intended. Correct. <laughs> All right. Uh, as you know, Doctor, the, the city of Edmonton, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, the Oilers Entertainment Group, I should say, Northlands and other partners have, have reached out uh, to the Pro Rodeo Association trying to keep uh, Canadian Finals Rodeo here in Edmonton in years to come. Does the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association have a stance, an official stance on rodeo? Uh, we do. It's it's actually an adoption or endorsement of the CVMA, the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association, on a position statement on animals in entertainment. All right. So we accept that animals may be legitimately used in entertainment, but the proviso is that those animals must be treated humanely. They must have all their needs met and so forth. And I will say, speaking of rodeo, this is such a multifaceted and emotional (laughs) topic for so many people, especially if you grew up on the prairies or you're from the city or you see things that seem really bad that are part of your normal lifestyle somewhere else. But in my experience, people that care for these animals in rodeo really do care for the animals. They really do try and take uh, good care of them, protect them, and make sure their needs are met. And actually, these animals also are partly their livelihood. So I'm not disagreeing that there's obviously concern about how we deal with animals. We want to be humane. We need to treat them with respect and with dignity. But 
In a short answer to your question, yes, we believe as the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association that animals may be legitimately used in entertainment, and that covers a number of different topics as well as rodeo. Doctor, thanks for spending some time with us today. Thanks very much for it's having me. It's always good to see you. That's it. Dr. Louis Quantis, has practiced out in Sherwood Park as of three days ago, the past president of the Alberta Veterinary Medical Association. Tim Reed is the CEO of Northlands. He'll join us in three minutes to talk about Edmonton's final offer to the Canadian Pro Rodeo Association to keep CFR right here in Alberta's capital city. Our thanks to Dr. Louis Quantis for joining us. You've heard through the news all the way through the morning, and of course you'll hear it through the afternoon as well. It sounds like negotiations are done when it comes to one of Edmonton's marquee events, the Canadian Finals Rodeo. It's been here for more than 40 years, but the Canadian Pro Rodeo Association has turned down Edmonton's offer of a roughly $2 million purse, and they're opening up the competition, asking cities from coast to coast to coast who wants to host this thing. We know that it's worth millions of dollars to the local economy. Edmonton's final offer was put together by the city, by OEG, otherwise known as Oilers Entertainment Group, uh, Northlands, and several other partners. Now, they say, and the numbers back it up, that it's substantially more than anything that the Canadian Pro Rodeo Association has ever been offered in past. So what's with the delay? Let's ask Tim Reed, the CEO of Northlands, joining us over the phone. Tim, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah, what's the deal here from your perspective? If you were to speculate, what can you tell us? I think with change happening in terms of product transitioning from Rexall Place to potentially a new venue, uh, the reality of it is, is I We've had a great partnership with the CPRA for 42, going into its 43rd year. And I think they're looking to shop their business and see if perhaps another city would pay more than Edmonton does. Calgary's the only city that I can see doing it. Vancouver has bylaws that prevent them. And we've seen, uh, with all due respect, Saskatchewan uh, via Saskatoon and Regina both attempt or, uh, you know, pull off events in past with more modest numbers. Do you feel like this is a legitimate threat to Edmonton with Calgary in the mix now? I think the offer that was on the table on behalf of the City of Edmonton and OEG, of which we were a fairly minor partner, but certainly a collaborative partner, I I think it was a very strong presentation on behalf of the City of Edmonton. And given the fact that um, CPRA have chosen to reject that offer, there must be be some interest somewhere else, without question. That seems like a safe answer. I don't blame you, because we're still in the negotiation stages right now. You don't want to be calling them out or putting them on the spot, do you? We've had a partnership with CPRA that's allowed this event to stay for the last 43 years. And so I, I'm very sensitive when I, I look back at the history that Northlands has had with CPRA. We, we've always had challenging discourse around the extension of this event because it could need to be good for their business and it needs to be good for ours. But it's unfortunate this is the one time where we haven't been able to retain a long-term agreement between the city of Edmonton, which in past has been Northlands, and the CPRA. So I, I, looking back at the relationship that I've shared with the CPRA, it's always been very, very positive. They're a difficult negotiator, but they have to protect their position. Fair enough. Have you played the loyalty card yet? I know that, that uh, the Cowboys, the Cowgirls are aware of that and maybe even receptive to that to a certain degree. The one aspect that we've tried to enforce is the fact that 
and, and really tried to convey is, is you have a fantastic opportunity here in Edmonton with a new building opening up. But more importantly, you can house and pen and take care of animal care and welfare at a site that you already know at a time that we're already taking care of animals with Farm for International. And I, I think it, we can't understate or overstate the value of Farm for International as a catalyst for the event, which is Canadian Finals Rodeo. I think if you take the Farm for International piece away from that event, the outcome becomes something different than it is today. To get some numbers uh, into the mix here, the CFR has been in Edmonton for 42 years. Uh, with Farm Fair International, it's estimated uh, it brings $80 million in economic benefit to the city. The increased purse prize of roughly $2 million meant that this total offer hit $4.46 million, which is up $1.5 million from the $3.1 million last year. Uh, Tim, What's the role that Northlands would play here? I suppose the obvious one is that you have the facilities to house the livestock. Is that about the extent of it with Rogers Place in the mix now? Really, we'd carry three pieces to the, to the role of the bid. Is one, we had an agreement where we would guarantee that we would run a major agricultural exhibition at the same time as CFR, which is Farm for International. We agreed that we would house and care for animals on the property, and we would support their, their animal care and welfare and well-being of, of these animals, which really are substantial investments and, and fantastic animals. And then the third piece to it is is we lend our expertise with the in-arena operations of the rodeos. So what have we learned? How you do the setup? How you do the teardown? How you manage the dirt? And so those were the three aspects that we were in partnership with OEG and the City of Edmonton to help facilitate. Hmm. A listener here on the text line is, is speculating, wondering if maybe the Canadian Pro Rodeo Association is fighting back with Northlands getting rid of horse racing. Is that a chance? Do you think this could be a vindictive step or an, a, a will-show-you type thing? If it is, we certainly haven't had that dialogue. I've spoken often with CPRA in the last week, and um, and the relationship is, is thinking towards what do we do for 2016 and how do we make the event the best possible. And certainly they've never conveyed any messaging that would suggest that they're concerned with the discussions around Northlands transitioning away from horse racing. It's never once come up. Now, of course, both sides are digging their heels in on this, and that's how negotiating works. And uh, Bob Nicholson's gone on record saying the offer's not getting any better than this. And quite frankly, we're going to start booking our schedule for next November soon for Rogers Place. So we need an answer as soon as possible. If you had to guess where this is going to go, is CFR going to stay in Edmonton, Tim, or do you think it's going to move south or somewhere else? I think it's a tough, tough conversation to have. I think... It sounds like the, the two sides are, are at odds right now, but as you know, in any negotiation, sometimes when people dig in, calmer heads will prevail and we'll find an opportunity to move forward. Okay. Tim the opportunity Re- was good, and the bid was very, very strong on behalf of the city of Edmonton. All right. Thanks, Tim, for talking to us. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Ron. That's Tim Reed, the CEO of Northlands. Ron says for years, Calgary's been whining that the event should belong to their city, so I think it's a done deal. That from Ron. It's worth pointing out that the Calgary Stampede Board has said that they would not have a problem, they would not have an issue with an indoor rodeo in Calgary in November. Uh, You've got the Calgary Stampede, obviously, the first, well, it's the first and second weekends of July. That's the timing, so they'd be separated by four months or so. Another listener here says, why not alternate between Calgary and Edmonton every other year for rodeo? Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, I I don't blame the Canadian Pro Rodeo Association for looking into their options, for investigating their options. 
on the other hand, you've got to keep in mind, I mean, Edmonton's offer bumped up a million and a half bucks from last year. Host of it for more than 40 years. Maybe sometimes, you know, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence till you get over there. And then you go, ooh, I didn't realize what I was standing on. I was going to say standing in, but in a rodeo context, that might paint a nasty picture for your boots. We've got a great email here from Gary Zeman. We'll get to that after this quick break. Thanks to Tim Reed for joining us, the CEO of Northlands. Of course, Northlands is part of that Edmonton bid to keep the CFR here in Alberta's capital city. Oilers Entertainment Group, a big part of that as well. Of course, the uh, operators of Rogers Place, which will be open uh, by the time CFR touches down next November, we're talking about. They're trying to keep CFR in Edmonton past 2016. Of course, this year's CFR coming up in November. The final offer put together worth about 4.46, let's say 4.5 million bucks. It's expected the economic spinoff, the benefit to the city of Edmonton as high as 80 million once you bring farm fare into the mix as well. Gary Zeman visited 630ched.com, clicked on the show's link and sent us this email. Says, I, it seems the CFR will leave Edmonton. The whys actually began when old council and the Cates Group were negotiating the new arena terms in relationship to Northlands. It was decided Edmonton could not have two arenas. If so, Northlands could not compete. The Oilers also threatened to leave Edmonton. Recently, Northlands revealed a new plan. Horse racing would go. This would mean the barns as well. Northlands Coliseum was to be transformed to a multi-rink facility. Now, the city and Oilers Entertainment Group have upped the financial incentive for the rodeo to stay. The city and Oilers Entertainment Group seem to be saying, we offered more money. History says the rodeo was gone on its way out a couple of years ago. Money in this case is not the total answer. The CFR will probably go. This was determined over the past couple of years by city councils and the Cates Group, the non-compete clause at the center. That from Gary. Do you buy it? Do you agree with what Gary says? Some people are saying just the simple fact that it's no longer at Rexall Place. It'll be Rogers Place by the time CFR rolls around for 2017. It's not conducive, a city center arena, an arena in the downtown core for rodeo. We were talking earlier this morning, Bruce Bowie and I, reminding people that Madison Square Garden doesn't seem to have a problem pulling off rodeo events. And if you can do it right in the heart of New York City, you can probably pull it off in Edmonton as well. Sure, logistics may prove to be a headache, but they've done it in past. And as Tim Reed just told us, they've got 40-plus years of expertise in pulling this event off. And to see Northlands cooperate with Oilers Entertainment Group on this, something tells me you'd have experts that would be pretty motivated to pull off a spectacular event the season that Rogers Place opens. Let me know what you think. We'll get to more of your comments on this. Maybe we'll ask Doug Goss about it, the former chair of the U of A Board of Governors, a member of the Alberta Order of Excellence, well-respected businessman here in the city of Edmonton, will join us in studio after these headlines.